The second reading is Mark 4, uh, verses 30 through 34. Listen now for the word from God. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Did all of the children make their exit that we're going to, to Children's Chapel? Okay, awesome. Let us go before God in prayer. Holy Spirit, come. Come be in this place. Stir our hearts. Open our ears. Work on us. That we might hear what you would have for us that we might grow with our whole heart. Amen. In God's world, tiny things become great. A mustard seed, that minuscule speck in your palm, is transformed into a towering tree anywhere from 20 to 30 feet high with multi-stemmed branches. A little overlooked shepherd boy becomes one of the most legendary kings in all the land. And I love that the lectionary puts these two together today. What does a tiny mustard seed and a baby brother David have in common? They both allow themselves to be exposed to an outside force that is stronger and mightier than they are. They do not try to control their own destiny. They simply come as they are, and they let God use all of them. In God's way of working, small things are raised up for greatness. The sick are healed. The desperate are cherished. The poor are rich. And the Savior of the world is born in a remote barn to a pregnant teen girl. Greatness and fruitfulness start like the tiniest mustard seed starts in the soil of the heart. Love cannot pour from a heart that has ignored its smallest unseen bits.
Now, as for this barefooted David, the scriptures don't say he's barefooted, but in my mind, he's always wandering around in the fields with no shoes on. He's not even on the stage in his own scene. That's how low down the totem pole for candidacy to be king he really is. He's forgotten. He's unremarkable. He's busy with the flock. The prophet Samuel has come with orders from God to anoint one of Jesse's sons to replace King Saul, a disappointment of a king if there ever was one. As he enters town, he locates Jesse the Bethlehemite and instructs him to come to the festival of sacrifice because Samuel is to anoint one of Jesse's sons. Holy, literally holy. This story has me imagining Jesse puffing up his chest with pride as he tells Iliab to tuck in his shirt and he spits on Abinadab's cowlick. It has me thinking a little bit about Sunday mornings at the Buckley house. We are rushing against the clock that is ticking way too fast toward 1030. And did you brush your teeth? You can't wear that to church. Try again. Where's your other shoe? I really need to get you another belt. That one's just too small. But it'll have to do. So, Jesse has wrangled his sons into line to parade before Samuel, the holy messenger of God. The eldest son is 99.9% certain that it will be him. He's tall. He's capable. The biggest thing he has going for him his birthright. To everyone's astonishment, including Samuel's, God has other plans. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Shocking. I don't want to rush on to the rejection of son number two just yet before we unpack this passing up of Iliab. This would shake everyone's convictions about how life is supposed to go. It would be so quiet at the festival that you could hear a pin drop or a woman faint. Hold the phone. Iliab is the oldest, he's the firstborn, he's stable and strong. He is, in fact, the hands-down perfect candidate. He's such a shoe-in that Jesse presents him first as a mere formality. Eyes start to dart around in confusion when Samuel asks for another son. How often do we think we know what is pleasing to God? How often do we put our best foot forward, our Sunday best, in fact, We want God to see us with our act together. We want to highlight the part of ourselves that look like Iliab. We draw ourselves up to our fullest stature, pull out the lipstick that really complements our skin complexion, and we come before God with combed hair, our tax-deductible donation list in hand, our purest intentions, and our cleaned-up vocabulary. 
I wonder why that is. I know we are creatures who want to belong and who like to impress people and feel assured that we count. But it's not as though God doesn't know all of the bits of ourselves that we shove into the closet to leave at home. It's not as though God doesn't know that we have Davids out in the field that we assume are not worthy of attending the anointing service. Davids that didn't make the cut to the family car to get to the late service at the press. The bits of us that either we aren't proud of or think God couldn't possibly use. It's the parts that look like our mistakes or our estranged relationships. That time that we shouted louder than we meant to at the ones who love us the most. It's the lustful thought or the embarrassing comment at the party. It's the feeling of neediness. We yearn for someone to acknowledge how hard we worked, but the shame of fishing for that compliment. It's the road rage in Frederica Road traffic at the tourist who acts like they have never seen a traffic circle before. <laughs> it is our impatience with the sales rep on the phone, but it's not even their fault. It's the part of us that agonizes over a friendship that we are too proud to mend. It's the anger that we feel at God in our grief that feels theologically out of bounds. It's the righteous part of us that can't stoop to apologize because we were right after all. But here's the thing. God knows about those places. And in this story, God waits patiently while we do the horse and pony show of all the fittest, well-deserving, shining resume items in our life. We parade out our Iliabs and our Abinadabs and our Shamas and all the rest. And God waits and says, but there's more. Go get that other part, the barefooted little one. That's what I want to touch with oil and slather in love. That piece you try to forget or pretend isn't real or feel like is undeserving, that's the part God calls to the front row and ordains as royal material. It's not just shocking. It can sometimes be offensive. There's a Lutheran pastor with a penchant for being honest She's covered in tattoos. She's a recovering alcoholic and addict. She was asked to speak on grace at the opening event of a youth conference with thousands of teenagers. One would think by looking at her that youth talks would be her jam. She insists that in fact they are not. She practiced her opening lines in her angst about her speech. Her family listened and promptly, lovingly told her the jokes were dumb. She started to panic out as she walked her dog around the neighborhood, 
the night before her flight left. She was frantically phoning friends to get guidance so she wouldn't make a fool of herself in her attempts to be relevant and cool in front of a coliseum of adolescents. On the flight, a girl with pink bangs and an anime sketchbook scooted into the seat next to her. The girl barely lifted her eyes but commented on Nadia's tattoos. She wanted to know if they hurt. Nadia noticed the scars on the inside of the girl's wrists and thought, not as much as those probably did. After a few moments of awkward conversation, the girl, Chloe, confided that she was going to a Lutheran youth conference, but she was dreading it. There are only a couple of girls in her youth group who even speak to her, and she didn't even want to come. She doesn't fit. At which point, Nadia commiserates and blurts out, Oh, I know, girl, I don't fit either. Later that night, as Nadia was walking out onto the stage to deliver the talk she had fretted over and lost sleep about, she stood in front of thousands of teenagers and spoke only to Chloe, the girl who didn't fit. Nadia says, I told her that this God has never made sense. And you don't need to make sense either because this God will use you. This God will use all of you. And not just your strengths, but your failures and your failings. Your weakness is fertile ground for a forgiving God to make something new and to make something beautiful. So don't ever think that all you have to offer are your gifts. We want to tell God the pieces of us that God can use. But God wants all of us, our whole heart. If I can be so daring, I'd love to ask you a question. What tender part of you do you hesitate to acknowledge? What feels unworthy or maybe even worth forgetting entirely. God has already claimed those places and is ready to douse them with the oil of unconditional love and grace. And the feel of that oil dripping onto our Davids, that freedom of full acceptance by our unwavering creator, that freedom allows kingdom work to really start. When we claim the pieces of our heart that God has already claimed, that's when the tiny become mighty. That's when the arid dryness becomes fruitful. And that is when dead things live again. After his anointing, David went on to kill the giant Goliath with a smooth stone from his slingshot. He retook the fortress of Zion and restored the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Through his musical hymns and his steadiness in battle, 
David is mentioned more than any other person in the Hebrew Bible. But he's a broken vessel with cracks like the rest of us. He had an affair with Bathsheba and then plotted to kill her husband Uriah. But God has never been daunted by our humanness. And God uses David's fragility and David's imperfections. And God's going to use us too. Only when the tender places of our insecurity and our fear are coaxed in from the field and anointed by God's probing presence can we rise to our fullest stature as chosen. When we realize God chooses all of us, the good, the bad, and the ugly, we find the courage to bear fruit. So go call in David from the pasture and watch. Watch how God's love drips onto the tiny and the imperfect. Watch as God claims all of you. It takes guts, but God's waiting for your whole heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.